desires that lead us towards positive goals and outcomes. But how many know that sometimes desire can become misdirected and it can go out of control, right? Sometimes our desires lead us to make decisions that we know we shouldn't and decisions that we know we'd later regret. Right? How many have ever made that impulse purchase that got you into debt? You don't have to put your hands up, but how many know we make impulse purchases that, that lead us to debt? You know, how many have made the latest tech upgrade knowing I don't really need the latest and greatest, but, but, I, but I feel like I got to have it, right? There's something about it that makes me want it. Have you ever been on a shopping spree and you know that it's gonna make rent tight at the end of the month and yet you make the purchase, right? We all have these desires and, uh, and these longings that become out of control. We know that we, we shouldn't and we know we're gonna regret them later on. See, we all have cravings and desires that lead us towards positive goals and outcomes and we're all faced with desires that lead us towards things that aren't always beneficial and sometimes harmful. If you'll turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter five, we're gonna continue in our summer sermon series that we're calling Summer on the Mount. And uh, over this summer series, we're gonna be looking at Jesus' greatest teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, considered the the largest collection we have of Jesus' teaching in one sitting. And, And in this passage, it's almost like Jesus' manifesto. His manifesto for living this new Christian kingdom ethic. It's, it's about captivating God's vision for what it looks like to live as his new creation, those who have experienced new birth. And it's really about reorienting our lives around God's rhythms of grace. So in the series, we, we've been looking at how our, our culture is really so image conscious we're so aware of how people see us and perceive us. We're, we're thinking about what they're thinking about us. And yet we see in this passage that, that God, that Jesus is digging so much deeper. He wants a more holistic way of, look, of living, not just how we appear on the outside, but he's, he's getting to the character of our lives. He's getting to this, uh, this, this central focus, not on just what we do, but who we are. See, in the Old Testament, God gave his people the Ten Commandments. If you're familiar with that story, Israel had been living in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. And if you can imagine the the mentality and the psychology of someone who has been abused and under the authority of slave masters, living as slaves for over 400 years, it had really affected their way of thinking. And as Jesus, or as God, I'm sorry, uh, released them out from under the tyranny of Egypt, he is saying there's a new way of living as my people. There's a new way of living as representatives of the kingdom of God. And so God gave the Ten Commandments as a way to govern themselves, a way to think about themselves the way God would want them to think and to a way to act. If you've been thinking about being told, commanded how to act. As slaves, really, you're being told how to live, what to do, what not to do. And God is saying, you're no longer slaves, but here's a new kingdom ethic. Here's a way of living uh, amongst each other with the Ten Commandments. And now, in the New Testament, we find Jesus. He's not abolishing the Ten Commandments. He's not getting rid of them. Jesus is actually the fulfillment uh, of God's law. And God and Jesus comes, he goes, you know what? It's not just the outward appearance. It's not just what we do, but it's 
who we are. And so he starts saying these statements like, you've heard it said, and then he'll give one of the Ten Commandments, and then he'll challenge us deeper, not just to act in a certain fashion, but to live and to embody and to become a certain way. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked, as Pastor Kirsten talked about, uh, about murder and anger. It's not good enough just for us to walk into church today and go, well, we haven't murdered anyone this week, so we're good, Right? She talked about how it's anger that's in our heart that actually brings disruption to the relationships that God intends for us. See, what we're finding in this Sermon on the Mount is that the character God approves is, is often counterintuitive to us. It's not the way we're default uh, to respond. It's not always the way we naturally think. Uh, and in fact, it's often countercultural to the w- things that our world accepts and adopts. And yet he says, there's a new way to live. And so we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. And so Pastor Kirsten, if you remember the last time she preached, she, she uh, had, uh, was making fun of my, week, my sermon the week before. If you remember th- two weeks ago, I talked about being salty and lit, right? Salty and lit. Well, I thought about entitling this sermon, Hot and Bothered. <laughs> I didn't know if that would go over too well, so I'm just calling it Losing Lusts. Losing Lusts. Matthew 5, 27. It says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, even your good one, (laughs) if it causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, that's some strong and not so subtle words from Jesus. Imagine sitting on the hillside and we're like, all right, what's Jesus have to say today? And he starts with this and you're like, okay, (laughs) you know, this is pretty intense. Now, we need to know that as we read scripture, it's not always prescriptive. Jesus is not literally saying that we need to leave here today and mutilate our bodies. What he is saying, this is called hyperbole. And what he's saying is, I want you to understand the severity and the intensity with what I'm saying. He's saying that it would be better to lose a part of your body than for your entire body to be burning in hell under condemnation in the lake of sin. And so this is strong. He wants us to understand. See, we all have desires and cravings of life, many of them positive, and the majority of them God-given. But lust is desire misdirected. Love is de- lust is desire run amok. I love that word, run amok. Everyone say run amok. See, lust is like a car crashing through a guardrail or like a river overflowing its banks. There is a natural intention. There's a God-given desire that overflows the boundaries of what God intends, and it brings destruction, hurt, and harm. You know, we think of lust primarily as sexual desire gone astray. Really, it's about being governed by our senses. 
It's about letting our senses dictate. And, and, and it's about this desire for personal satisfaction in, reg- in disregard for the consequences. That's what lust really is. Lust is really our attempt of our fulfillment of a natural God-given desire in a way that pursues intimacy uh, through physical pleasure without having the intention that God has. You know, lust is an issue that many of us will wrestle with in some form or another. No one's immune to it. It's not based on age or gender. It's not based on profession. Lust is a challenge for many of us. As a church, we don't do ourselves any favors by making some uh, topics taboo to talk about. And some of you, that's okay. You know, I have teenagers, so I I can do the awkward talking today. You're just going to look at me, right? Uh, And and just, you don't have to say anything. But but we know that that we have issues in the church, and we don't like to talk about that. That's kind of taboo. It's a little awkward. But here's what happens. We don't do anyone any favors. We don't help people find freedom. We don't help people get the help that they need when we drive them deeper into their secrecy and shame. How do we know that God has freedom that many people so desperately need? And so sexuality is one of those areas that doesn't seem to get addressed in church very much. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It's awkward in mixed company, right? Maybe your mom or your grandma's here today and you're like, okay, you know, this is awkward, right? It's imperative that we have each developed a healthy and biblically based ethic of sexuality. We can't do that if we don't talk about it. Now, some of you parents are here today, and you're just like, okay, my kids are with me. This sermon is PG-13. Just want to let you know. (laughs) You don't need to worry. But something that we're embarrassed to talk about, and our world has made it so embarrassing to talk about, right? It it displays it so prominently, and yet there's this this packaging around it. We we call it the dirty deed, or we call it, you know, the nasty thing, and, you know, and all of that surrounding. And so God has created something beautiful that the world has perverted and made awkward to talk about. God calls it good. You know, the Bible certainly doesn't shy away from this topic. There's so many scriptures addressing it in many ways. And so here today we have Jesus addressing the subject of lust. See, one of the temptations that we have as Christians and as a church in general is that we compartmentalize things, right? We're like, this is my church and my worship bubble, and this is my personal and private bubble, right? We do that sometimes, especially in this area where we contextualize. This is where I come and worship God and my outward public persona and the things I'm willing to talk about, and these are the things that no one else knows about. It's just between me and myself and I. And this is one of the issues that uh, fuels participation in pornography, even for church people. Yeah, it's Sunday morning. I know it's the start, first day of the week. You're like, oh, wow, we're going there right off the top, right? But listen, the Barna Research Group talks about the pornography problem, even within churches. And I was looking in our culture, 91% of men uh, view pornography regularly and 60-some percent of women It's not just a male-driven thing, women as well. But listen to the stats within the church. 68% of church-going men uh, report viewing porn on a regular basis. And young adults between 18 and 24 years, 76% report actively searching for it. 87% of Christian women have viewed porn. 
And 33% of Christian women aged 25 and under uh, report searching for porn at least once a month. And so we have this massive issue in our culture. We have this issue that's becoming even uh, more challenging because our culture is moving towards acceptance. There's no longer a sense of, of shamefulness or that there's anything wrong with it. It's actually embraced, and it becomes part of the imagery of our entertainment. It becomes part of the imagery of our advertising. And, uh, and so there's even uh, brought on this increased phenomenon known as unsolicited porn. It's where you're ex exposed to sensual things when you're not even looking for it. The average age for a teen to come across porn right now is 11 years old. And it says by age 14, 94% of children will have been exposed to porn. See, culturally, we're not thinking of pornography as sinful or harmful, and there's a lot of conversation around that. What's done in private seems to be harmless in the secrecy of our own lives, and yet Jesus is saying that there's something much deeper at the root of our lust. There's something much deeper that, that's problematic. Those that are engaged in porn are 50% more likely to experience relationship breakdown or divorce. Those who uh, dabble in porn are 300% more likely to engage in adultery. And so uh, God, Jesus is here saying there's an issue and we can't be fooled into thinking that we can compartmentalize our sexuality from the rest of our spiritual life. It's a holistic life, one and the same. It's not just a physical activity as Jesus is addressing here. Now, it's one thing to teach on a topic, but it comes alive in more detail when we see that topic alive in a story. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 39, returning to the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39 verse 1 says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. How many know that you carry the blessing of God in your life? When you follow Jesus, when you are his ambassador, you carry the blessing of God wherever you go. Your workplace is blessed because you're there. Your classroom is blessed because you're there. You bring the blessing of God where you go. Now it says, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. How many need a Joseph in your life, right? You need a Joseph on your team. Now Joseph, we know from previous chapters that God had given him a dream as a boy. He had this dream of being a leader and an influence within his family. And uh, we know from the story, if you're familiar with it, that as he 
told his family his dream. It didn't go well for him, right? As a youngest child, he was like, I have grandiose visions of how I'm going to lead you guys, my brothers. And they're like, yeah, that's not happening. And it says I threw him in the pit after a while. They had become so tired of him. And it was clear to him, uh, to all the brothers, that he was the favorite. You know, I don't know what Joseph's dad was thinking, giving him that coat of many colors, right? Just uh, outrightly saying, you're my, I tell all my kids they're my favorite. You know, just when the other ones are not around, you know? And, and, and so they, they knew, they, they had this, this perception of Joseph. They tossed him in a pit. They're ready to kill him in their jealousy and in response to his cockiness. And something inside of them stops them in the moment. And they think, you know what, we better not kill him. But instead, let's, let's sell him off to this passing caravan. Uh, and this caravan uh, of people, they, they take him and they sell him into slavery in Egypt where he comes to be in the household of Potiphar. Potiphar puts him in the position of chief of staff. Joseph has been working his tail off, trying to get there. He wasn't going to allow his position to dictate how he responded. He was going to give everything he had, wherever he was, for the kingdom of God. And so he went to work, even in this foreign land. And it says that the Lord is with Joseph, and the Lord blessed him in Potiphar's household. Now Joseph's living his life. He's working hard when someone else begins to notice him. Even when you're working your tail off, minding your own business, how many know that lust will often try to affix itself to you, right? Joseph is working away, and then in verse 6, it says, he was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Lust is enslavement to the physical senses and appetites. James 1.14 says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. Notice this word, it says carried away and enticed. I don't know if you've ever been fishing, but when you put bait on a hook, the objective is to present something to the fish that's enticing at the same time while masking the snare that lies underneath. How many know that's what lust does? Lust presents to us something that looks appealing and enticing on the surface, but beneath it there is a, a snare. Lust causes us to fixate our minds on what we don't have and what we feel we need. Right? If we think of this word lust, it's a craving for what we think will fulfill us. It originates in this place of dissatisfaction, right? If we are lusting after power, if I just had power, then I would be fulfilled. If I just had a position, if I just had those possessions, I would be fulfilled. If I just had that person, then I would be fulfilled. And so lust begins in Mrs. Potiphar's mind. And she begins in her imagination to fantasize about what could be with Joseph. She begins thinking about the fun and the fulfillment she could have. I'm sure her husband was often busy at work. He was second in command of the kingdom to Pharaoh. And maybe she was feeling kind of bored or kind of lonely. Joseph was attentive to all her needs. He was taking care of her. That was his job, right? He was, that was his role. But, but she began to fantasize what this could be like. 
Think about the adventure and the excitement. Here's the thing that I know about lust, that lust always promises what it can't deliver and always delivers consequences it didn't disclose. Look at James 1.15 again. We just read it. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. Death of what? Death of purity? Death of innocence? Death, death of self-esteem? Death of intimacy? In a relationship, it brings death to trust? Ultimately, it brings spiritual death, which is separation from God. That's what sin does. Lust always promises what it can't deliver and always delivers consequences it didn't disclose. Let's keep reading. In verse 8, it says, But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against not just Potiphar, but God. Notice the reasons that he gives here. He's not going along with Mrs. Potiphar's advances. Notice that he doesn't say no because sex is a sin. He doesn't say that. He says no because... You are Potiphar's wife. See, lust is desire misdirected and out of control. It's not a sin to notice beauty. It's not a sin to experience attraction. It's not a sin to have sexual desire or to desire intimacy. Those are God-given desires. But when they run amok in our life, when they lead us, see, what lust does is it objectifies it desires to use selfishly, to fulfill a need selfishly for self-gratification. Sexual desire in itself is not bad. How many know that when God made Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply? He wasn't talking about gardening and doing mathematics. <laughs> See, sex is an act of intimacy the Bible describes exclusively between a husband and wife. It's an act scripture describes as two people becoming one flesh. Really what that means is united in purpose, exclusively committed to loving and serving each other, to be defenseless and vulnerable, and at the same time to be known completely and yet completely accepted and loved. Scripture uses the imagery of marriage between a husband and wife to describe the, the relationship between God, Jesus, and his bride, Jesus and his church. It's a beautiful relationship in God's eyes. So when Joseph says here, no, because you are his wife, he's not just saying, well, you're married, but if we were single, I'd be down to mingle. What he's saying is, no, you're not my wife. You are not my wife. Lust pursues satisfaction without sacrifice, without commitment. Our culture tries to reduce sex to be nothing more than a bodily function. It's just physical. But it doesn't recognize God's designed spiritual intent. It's not just a physical appetite. We talk about it's just sex. 
It's just hooking up. It's no strings attached. When we're saying that, what we're really saying is, I want your body, but not you. And when we're engaging with that, I said, I'm willing to give you my body, but not me. We can use each other to meet our physical needs, but let's hold back on the emotional, social, and spiritual ones that God really has intended for us to fulfill. See, lust in objectifying people, it dehumanizes them and makes them a commodity to be used. And when you have a commodity that's being used, when it no longer fulfills its purpose or its intent, what do you do? You discard it and you throw it away. The Bible says that each and every one of us are made in the image of God. We are God's creation, his children, that we are brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. And so when we objectify each other, when we use each other, and we discard each other, it's a form of abuse. And God's saying, that's not what I intended for my people. That's not the fulfillment that I want for your life. Rick Warren says this. He says, lust is about satisfaction. Love is about sacrificing. It's about serving, surrendering, sharing, supporting, and even suffering for others. I love this. Most love songs are actually lust songs. On the radio this week, you're going to hear some songs and be like, is this a love song or is this a lust song? What is this all about? See, lust pursues pleasure without a person, and the end result is not satisfaction. It's not fulfillment. It's not intimacy as God intended, but it's isolation, it's emptiness, and it's shame. Ultimately, it ends up in hurt. See, Joseph wasn't done there, though. He says, that's really my secondary reason for saying no. My primary reason is this. It would be a great sin against God. How would it be a sin against God? Because to be enslaved to our physical senses means that our spiritual senses have been deadened. Our spiritual senses are no longer leading us. It's our flesh that's leading us. And when we come to Jesus and we say, Lord, I want this new life, this new birth, we're actually, when the Bible says you've been born physically, yes, but you must be born again. You must have those senses, that spiritual uh, part of your life reborn to lead and to guide you today. First Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, God's will for you is to be holy. We can all say yes to that, but look how it ties together. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Genesis 39.10 says she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out her, of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. So she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come and sleep with me. Well, Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants, Soon all the men come running. Uh, look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard my scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. 
Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into her house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. It's telling, isn't it, how fast Mrs. Potiphar's love for Joseph quickly turned to anger, or even to hate. The punishment at this time for such a violation, especially from a slave like Joseph, would have been death. She, she wanted death for this person, Joseph, who wouldn't comply to her lustful wishes. For some reason, as angry as Potiphar was, something in him I don't know what it was, second guess the story, and maybe it was Joseph's loyalty and integrity over these years, but, but he doesn't execute him. He leaves him in prison. How do we know that? That lust does this. It uses people to satisfy its cravings and then spits them out when they're no longer needed or no longer serving the purpose. Being enslaved to physical senses, controlled by our appetites, that's the old way of living. Jesus said there's a new way. There's a new way that's free from sin and from lust. Ephesians 4, 17 says, By the Lord's authority I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you've learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, and instead, let the Spirit renew. Everyone say let. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Say put on. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous, and holy. See, there's two things about living this new life that God has purchased for us. There's two people involved. There's you and there's God. And this isn't about you making yourself right, but you can do what only you can do. The scripture says here, throw off, let, put on. Right? There's active words and there's submissive words. There's, there's throw off the old way. There's let the spirit renew. There's an active part in our life where we are partnering with God, what God's doing in our life. We just don't come to church, sit in our pew, and God zaps us to make us transformed. We have to live it out. We have to put it into practice. We have to let God throw off the old ways, put on the new ways, and then God does what only he can do. The spirit renews your thoughts and your attitudes. You know, if we were to get real for a moment, Traditionally in church, we have told people struggling with lust is that what you need to do is to pray more and try harder. And most of the time, I find by the time people have come to me and say, I have a problem, they're like, tell me something new. They're like, I've been doing that, praying more, trying harder, praying more, trying harder. What happens is that I become discouraged that I just don't seem to be able to get over this Thing And you become into this place where you believe that lust isn't a sin to be free from, but a tension to be managed in your life. But how many know that God wants to bring freedom to you today? 
See, it's not just about simply saying no to lust, no to addiction, no to the old reality. That doesn't work. You have to, have, you have to say yes to something else. I'm not just, it's not just what I'm saying no to. It's what I'm saying yes to. Joseph is saying, I'm saying no to your advances, no to uh, adultery, no to lust, because I'm saying yes to the plans and the purposes and the intimacy God has for my life. We've talked about this before, but the way to reorient your life and your thoughts around the things that God has for you when you're facing temptation, we call it my five. Everyone put, up, everyone put up your left hand in the air. Look at it for a minute. Look at your left hand. Five ways of overcoming Temptation. The first one is to recognize. When you see someone on the street, you recognize them, you give them a thumbs up. Recognition, good job, right? Recognition. Thumb is to be recognized. When I recognize the lie, Joseph says, how can I do such a thing? You're his wife, right? It's not just sex. It's not just no strings attached. It's not just whatever it is that you need to fill in the blank. I recognize the lie. It's not just uh, not hurting someone else because it's, it's not just... Is there's something, there's a lie happening, you know? It's not just that I have a high sex drive. It's not just any, how many know when you stop fueling the fires of lust in your life, that, that sex drive, it doesn't go away, but it becomes much healthier. It's not a raging bonfire, the, the Bible says. It's not just that. Well, when I recognize the lie, I'm saying, is this really about sex, or is this about me trying to fulfill some other need in my life? Is this about a, a, a loneliness I'm trying to fulfill? Is this about a pain that I'm trying to self-medicate, so trying to numb in my life? I gotta recognize the lie, and then I gotta resist the lie. This finger is resist. When someone gets in your face, and you start getting in them, you start resisting them, right? This, you say, this lie from the devil in my life, I get it there resisting it. Joseph says here that he refused to sleep with her. He kept out of her way as much as possible. I'm resisting this temptation. And the middle finger is reject the lie. You know why this one's reject, right? <laughs> Right, you gotta, when you get that finger, you know you've been rejected. <laughs> Verse 12 says, he left his cloak in her hand and ran from the house. He was rejecting the temptation as fast as he could. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. If you're struggling in this area, you gotta run from it. Don't allow it in your music. Don't allow it in your movies. Don't allow your screen to be unfiltered. Don't allow your phone to be a secret place that only you have access to. Don't you run from it. Do what you can do to reject it in your life. You know, we have this temptation, especially as adult men, that we think, well, I should be able to handle myself. I should be able to control my urges. I should, I should. How many know that every time you fail after you think you should, it's a sign for you to say, you shouldn't have to do it on your own. You shouldn't have to resist. How many know when you're dieting and you keep cookies on your counter, right? That's a temptation. You're just leaving there every day. Don't leave the temptation. Get those cookies out of the house, right? Then you won't even have to be faced with the temptation in your life. Well, the ring finger, if you're married, has a ring on it. The ring represents a truth. When I got married, I put this ring on my finger and said, there's a truth about my life. I'm different than I used to be. I'm married now. I have a purpose and a commitment. And so we, we resist the temptation and we replace that lie with the truth. 
It's not just about saying no to our desires. It's about saying yes to bigger, more powerful things. 2 Timothy 2.22, I just read it, says, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust, but instead pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace, and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. It's not just about what I'm saying no to. It's about saying, yes, this is what I'm pursuing. This is what my life is about. This is what the goal of my life. The key to self-control isn't always saying no. It's about having a bigger yes. It's about having a bigger yes. I'm saying no to shame and yes to freedom. I'm saying no to isolation and yes to fulfillment. I'm saying no to emptiness and yes to purpose. How many know that if all you have is a no, eventually your no will get worn down? Right? Any parents in the room experience this? No, 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 fine. <laughs> right? It's not just about having a no, it's about having a bigger Yes, what are you saying yes to? And the last one, how many know that this is the weakest finger on your hand, right? You might get two or three uh, grocery bags on there, right? But not too much more than that, right? You can't do anything with your pinky finger alone. It needs the strength of everything else around. How many know you gotta rely? You gotta rely on the things around you. You gotta rely on Jesus to help you overcome temptation. You gotta rely, this is what Genesis 39, 21 says, the Lord was with Joseph. He was with him in Potiphar's house. Now it says that he was with Joseph in the prison and he showed him his faithful love. No matter where Joseph went, he says, Lord, I know you're with me. You will help me overcome this temptation and no matter where it leads me, you'll be with me and I draw my purpose and fulfillment from you today. Amen? Recognize, resist, reject, Replace the truth of the lie with the truth and rely on Jesus. That's how we overcome. It's not just about praying more and trying harder. We actually have to engage these things in our lives. You know, I know it's been a topic that's like, oh, that's a little different. If you're here today, it's your first day. We don't talk about this every Sunday, I promise. But it's important. It's important to our culture. It's important to our church. It's important to the the youth and young adults of our church is important as adults in our church to have a biblically developed ethic of sexuality in our lives. Now, here's one of the things I know about lust is that for some reason of all the things we struggle with, it seems to root itself deepest in our hearts. It's the one that leads us to shame, isolation, and secrecy. You know, Jesus compared lust to adultery. He said, but there's a story in the New Testament of a woman who was caught in the middle of an adulterous act. And it says that the religious people brought her to Jesus and, and tried to trip him up and tried to, to confound him. And, and what does Jesus say in that moment to this woman? He says, I don't condemn you. He says, go and sin no more. I'm not here to make you wallow in shame. I'm here to set you free. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Today in the church, we don't need to have the self-isolating shame that makes us hide from people or makes us feel that we can't come into the presence of God. How many know that God already knows your sin? 
And he sent his son to die on the cross for all of our sin, whether it's sexual sin, lust, whatever it is. We all are in need of God's grace and his love. And so God doesn't separate himself from us. He comes to us and he says, I've actually paid the price of your sins so that you could walk in freedom to let go of what it is that's holding you back, to let go of what's making you feel like you're dying inside, to make you feel the fulfillment that you can only find in me. This new life that Jesus offers. God brings redemption and healing to what was broken. And in a sexually permissive culture, we see the results of sin. We see the brokenness and the hurt and the decay all around us. And God is saying, I need a church. I need a church that walks in wholeness, that walks in freedom, that walks in health. I want you today, today, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're young or old, there's freedom for you today. Jesus says, I'll never ask you to do what's impossible. He said, I've already made it possible for you to do this if you will follow me. I'm gonna invite you to Stand with me where you are if you can. And would you just bow your heads for just a moment, close your eyes, and, and I don't know how this is landing with you today. Maybe this is something that over the course of your life you've experienced the freedom of God. You're like, yeah, I used to walk in lust and God's done something miraculous in me and set me free. Maybe this has never been your vice. Maybe you have other vices, but you've experienced the power of God uh, work in your life. Maybe you're here and you thought, you know, I, I know this to be true, but I've been struggling with it and it's so hard and it's so shameful and I have never really invited anyone into my life to share this with them. And, and today I just want you to know that God has a place for you to share what's going on in your heart. There's trusted people who will keep your confidence, but who wanna walk with you in finding hope and freedom. Maybe you're here and you wanna talk to me sometime this week, and one of the resources I could give you that's really great is called puredesire.org. If you wanna go home today and look on the internet, you can look at puredesire.org. It will help you uh, with some resources, but you still would encourage you to talk to someone about it. Maybe you're here today and you're like, this is all new to me. I didn't even know there was any issue with those things our culture's been telling me for so long that it's all good and fine, never hurts anybody. Jesus has something more for you. We just need to say, God, I just embrace. That's where you are, just close your eyes for me. God, I embrace. I embrace your truth today. That as you gave that teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, that if you were challenging something, if you were putting your finger on something, that runs so deeply in the core of our culture, if you're putting something that runs so deeply on the patterns of our lives, even 2,000 years later, we've seen it grow exponentially, God, we know. Lord, if you're pointing something out, it's because you wanna address it. And when you address things, it's not to cause shame and condemnation, it's to bring healing and wholeness. So this morning, we might have come to church not knowing this topic was gonna be addressed, but today you're addressing it because you wanna bring freedom to someone in this place today. So Jesus, we just pray across this room, Lord, that we would have the courage to say, God, uh, I embrace your truth. Uh, it's hard for me, but I'm letting go. Maybe I have beliefs that are contrary uh, to what scripture teaches, but, but if that's what you're calling me to, I, I'm gonna let go of those beliefs and, and help shape my mind and my perspective in a biblical way we pray. 
And we confess our sin, each of us, whether it's lustfulness or not, we can all say, God, there's things in my life where I fall short of your desire for me. I confess that today. Lord, whether it's this addiction to pornography or just lustfulness in general, maybe it's something else, gossiping, lying, whatever it is, God, we say, God, we confess our sin today. And as we do, we receive your grace. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Lord, I pray as you've addressed something in our hearts that you would give us the path forward today. By your spirit, you would renew our minds, you would renew our desires as we put off the old ways and put on the new ones. Help us to develop good habits and good practices that will make it easier for us to resist temptation. But really, it starts with a transformation of our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, Jared, I would love this transformation you're talking about. But I've never even invited Jesus into my life. This morning, it would just be as simple as saying, as Jesus, I repent of my sin, of leading myself, and I turn to you. Would you be the leader of my life? Help me walk this out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you've been so quiet this morning. I understand. It's okay. Like I said, I have teenagers. They get quiet on me. And I know we've gone a little late. I know the kids are downstairs. They're raring to go. But I just want to encourage you that we're living a countercultural message. And it's sometimes it's counterintuitive to even the way our natural desires are inclined. But when people see us walking in the freedom and the wholeness that only Jesus gives, it's so refreshing. Would you go and would you refresh someone today? Would you just speak life and love over them? Just tell them that God loves them and that he has a plan and purpose for, his, for their life. Uh, we're going to have the prayer team come right now. They're going to be at the front. And uh, if you would love someone to pray for you about this or any other issue, we would love to connect with you. God bless as you go, church. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.